What's up, military millionaires? I'm your host, David Bray, and uh, Alex is on a trip in Belize right now. So I am here with Virginia Cruz this evening of The Soldier's Guide, and we are going to talk about, uh, well, a whole lot of stuff, but we're definitely going to dig into like combat, uh, combat operational stress and PTSD and some of the counseling options out there for service members and veterans. However, uh, they also do some real estate and they've been around. So Virginia is a uh, both active duty and reserve veteran, Army, Navy, enlisted officer, kind of been around the military uh, as well as a spouse. So pretty much every angle I believe is covered on the military uh, experience. And yeah, so this is gonna be a lot of fun. She, she reached out or she had somebody named Nicole reach out and, and hound me. No, I'm just kidding. Um, For real. Her words, not mine. Uh, <laughs> um, about getting her on the show. And I realized, man, we talk about real estate all the time, but we don't ever talk about, uh, you know, I have a video where I talk about uh, like suicide, suicide ideation, but I I, we don't talk about the mental health side of things with with veterans, and that's somewhat something that I'm kind of finally starting to open up to in my own life. And so I thought, well, if nothing else, maybe I get psychoanalyzed on a podcast. But we're gonna have some fun and uh, and talk about really just wherever this conversation goes. But I we've we've actually been talking for 20 minutes before I hit record because uh, Virginia is just a very personable individual, and I enjoy it. So welcome to the show. Welcome to the Military Millionaire Podcast, where we teach service members, veterans, and their families how to build wealth through personal finance, entrepreneurship, and real estate investing. I'm your host, David Perret, and together with my co-host, Alex Felice, we're here to be your no BS guides along the most important mission you'll ever embark on, your finances. Vehicle one, you're clear to depart friendly lines. Roger, Vic One, Oscar Mike. What's up, guys? Today, I wanted to stop and sponsor my own podcast by myself, which is a little cheesy, to tell you about the course that I'm launching called From Zero to One, Real Estate Investing for Beginners. Now, this is not a course to help you get rich fast. This is not a course to promise you to make a bajillion dollars, but this is the course that will help you get from zero rental properties to one rental property. It is designed to get you through your first purchase. Everything you need to know to get you through that step with support from myself, obviously via email and whatever, so that we can talk and I can help answer some of those questions for you. And it is extremely affordable right now because I'm launching it for only 97 bucks, which given the amount of content in there and the testimonials I got from the people who tested it beforehand, I am super on the low end for that price, but I'm going to probably have to bump it up in a little while. But for now, to test the waters and see exactly how many people I'm able to help with this, I want it to be extremely affordable because I want to help service members and veterans get their feet in the water. So if you are interested in learning about rental properties and you just want to learn how to get your first one, and then there are some bonus episodes in there to help you advance past that. But if you really just want to know everything you need to know to buy your first property without screwing yourself over, this is the course for you. Go ahead and check it out. The link will be down below in the show notes and back to your episode. Thank you so much, David. I am psyched to be, I am pumped to Jack to be here. <laughs> I really am. And I did totally have, our team totally hounded you so I could be on your show. I'm a, I'm a fan girl. I, I am. My words. I'm a fan girl. Um, I love the no BS guide to military life. And um yeah, I love it. And it's the book that I wish that we had had, you know, 25 years ago. 
It's awesome. I'm so glad that you wrote it. Just what a service that you're doing, paying it forward. And, um, and that's what this is really all about. And I, I love your podcast, love your book. Um, and, a, and a big topic that you're always bringing up is, you know, this personal development. And, and it, you know, really gets me thinking, what is a rich life? What does it mean that when we, you know, have this real estate portfolio and we, we have achieved our financial goals and dreams and we have the autonomy to actually do what we want to do, but then we're so held back because we're, we've got our own demons that we're not able to actually actualize any of that. Um, you know, we, here we have all this autonomy and we don't have to have a nine to five, but then, you know, whenever I, a a car backfires, I go into a panic attack or I can't, I can't, um, go to my kid's baseball game or, you know, I have to avoid, um, you know, waiting rooms if they have the news on. So, you know, we can have all of this financial autonomy, but a real rich life for me, at least has a lot to do with you know, that transition, how do we look at military mental health and how do we transition into, you know, the so-called real world or the civilian world? (laughs) How are we, how are we transitioning? How can we really look at our military experience and what it all means and right size it, put it into context so that when we do achieve this financial autonomy, when we do achieve this, um, which, and I would recommend your book for every private on the planet. This is just start now, start now Um, for real. But it's, you know, when you get there, then what, then what? And, and so that's, that's my focus. So yeah, military mental health is 100% my thing. I love it. Uh, And I've been actually, Ooh, I've got like this little wobble chair thing that I'm testing out back here. So it's like, I'm standing up, but I'm leaning against something. It uh, will rest just now. It just uh, it 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 fell very quickly and it went from you know yay height to yay height and it looked like I was uh, came out from under me. You didn't bite it though. I mean, <laughs> to your been, credit, would have been funny. Um, so I'm struggling with some aspects of this. I think um, Alex and I have talked about this a few times where it's like, okay, I got out of the military or getting out of the military. Right, I'm, I'm freshly out, going to the reserves. Um, you know, I'm, I'm officially like, technically financially free, but trying to grow some other stuff and got some projects, but like now what, right? Like what's the, you know, so from like, even from that angle of like, okay, now what does my day look like? What is fulfilling in my life? Like the mental aspect after the finances are taken care of is, is a really interesting and in-depth battle, uh, especially so I am realizing how lucky I am that I had this platform. Um, and I say that because I've said for years, I think the issue a lot of service members struggle with when they get out is that they they don't have a purpose or their identity was tied up in being a service member. And then that's, that's gone. And now what? And it, it creates a lot of mental uh, heartache. But, you know, I had this platform, so I had a, a purpose and I had an identity wrapped up in, in like the military millionaire community. And it's still been rough getting out, not being around service members all the time and not having that routine and, and uh, having to, you know, decide what I'm going to do and what I'm going to do it and who I'm going to hang out with and not seeing like, not just hanging out with the boys all day. Um, it's still been quite the adjustment. And so it's kind of set in stone, like, man, there's like, had I not been prepared, this could have been a pretty rough transition mentally. Um and I would consider myself to have, I don't know, very mild issues from combat, right? Like I'm fully functional. I mean, there's definitely little things that I've noticed over the years, but 
nothing, nothing like debilitating. Uh, so there's, you know, so I think this is a really important topic because I mean, uh, as we mentioned before the recording, I like every other veteran out there has has lost friends to PTSD, depression, you know, suicide, wh- whatever. Um, and it's it's very unfortunate, but it's avoidable if we can just get out there and talk to the right people and, uh, you know, learn to deal with what we've seen or done. Or I appreciate you saying that and really normalizing the transition. I think the technical term is mindfuck. It is a total <laughs> mindfuck to go from, uh, from yeah. active duty to civilian or even into the reserve. It, it's a tough transition. Um, it's an existential crisis. I mean, I'm not being hyperbolic. This is an all outcome to Jesus moment of like, what was that all for? You know, it, just this past August, we had the Afghanistan withdrawal, and that was a total mindfuck for many of us, active duty reserve uh, and, and veterans of other wars. You know, we were talking a little bit about how in my in my practice, I'm seeing a lot of folks come into therapy for the first time, you know, especially our Vietnam vets. Um, Vietnam vets, uh, vets of Central and South America, Kosovo, um, you know, because seeing that is a very triggering event. And um, in the folks that I've talked that that I talk with, and even even in my own work, I'm like, wow, what what was that all for? What was the reason behind that? And you know, kind of really looking at that, and, and I'm glad that you you created a community of you know of friends, of social support, you know, therapists call friends, social support. Cause you know, if we don't have a fancy word, that's hard to understand, then it's not real. My and say again, I said, they're all my besties. Yeah. And, and so you've got this really robust support network and most of us don't, most of us don't. Yeah. And the transition, you know, the transition is tough. Um, whether it is, you know, right after you deploy, if you've done 20 years or more, uh, it is an adjustment. And, uh, you know, my own adjustment was really very ugly. Um, you know, I don't have a cool origin story like a lot of your guests do. Um, you know, my nobody grow nobody when they're little says, you know, when I grow up, I want to be a trauma counselor. You know, I want to be a trauma therapist. And if you do. We should probably talk um, because you get. You didn't even some, know that was a job until. Yeah, you, last you few got years. some problem. No, now we. Nobody wants to be a trauma counselor when when they grow up. It, it's you know the after, so I, I spent uh, a lot of years in the Army Reserve and lovely. I just loved it. Loved every freaking minute of it. Not that I was great at it, but I really enjoyed it. Um, I'm an interrogator. I'm an Arabic speaker. And so I spent, you know, in the early part of the war, I had a lot of work to do. And it was, it was, um, it was awesome. I served with some, with this panoply of tactical units. Just had a, oh my God. I loved it. I love the people with whom I served. I, I just really do. And then uh, after my, my third deployment, I was stationed in Germany at the time, and I had a, a little bit of an incident, and I was command-directed to go to mental health. That's never good. <laughs> and, and so uh, I and, – and it was a good thing because I knew something was wrong. I was drinking like freaking fish. I was drinking every day just to try to slow my mind down, get to sleep, um, just to, to try to cope. 
I was uh, hallucinating. That means, you know, seeing or hearing things that I know ostensibly aren't there, smelling, burning things, uh, hearing gunshots, which isn't a thing in Europe. And, um, you know, I, w- I was really messed up. I was blowing up my really good marriage. I was showing up to family reunions, piss drunk. I mean, I was devastating my own life. It was really, um, it, it was like, you know, yeah, it was not okay. And so I looked forward to the opportunity to talk with somebody because I knew something was wrong, but I didn't really know what. And so I went and I talked to the to an active duty colonel, uh, what when in the army we call a slick sleeve. So someone who hasn't deployed before, doesn't have a combat patch. But I was so thankful because I was like, okay, here's a here's a military member. And I poured my heart out, David. I poured my heart out for the better part of an hour. Uh, talking to him about my experience. And at the end of that time, he said to me, you know, Virginia, I can tell you're really struggling, but there really is nothing I can do to help you if you don't choose to be honest with me. I was super perplexed by that. And I said, you know, tell me more. Every, yeah. you know, every, every therapist's favorite question, tell, tell me more. Yeah. And he said, you know, we all know that women don't deploy to combat. Oh. And um, so that didn't end well. Um, I was escorted out of the building. I was given something called a personality disorder. That is a diagnosis that has a lot of stigma attached to it, even within the mental health community. And um, I was in a really bad place before that interview. I I was chronically suicidal. I, I was drinking all the time. I was not okay. And after that, I really felt like I got kicked in the teeth. Yeah. And to, to add insult to injury, it was by another service member. by another service member. So I went back to my unit with this, with this brand new diagnosis of, yeah, she's just really fucked. Um, So good luck with that. And I felt even more suicidal, more hopeless. And um, it was at that point that I recognized like, like, oh shit. Like if I don't get this together, I'm literally going to die. Like I am going to die. And I'm not being hyperbolic. I'm either going to kill myself which was the most likely scenario at that point, or, you know, whatever is going on in my head is going to eat me alive from the inside out. So I went to grad school. I was like, let's go to grad school. And here I am 14 years later talking to you, you know? So my first gig that I had when I finally got licensed and became a mental health uh, therapist, a trauma therapist is I got this gig at an active, at a, a hospital, a private hospital that served active duty service members and uh, with with PTSD and what we call co-occurring disorder. So that's just a fancy word that means shit that happens at the same time. So um, and they gave me this really very smart curriculum and, and to, for me to teach about PTSD and, uh, you know, and it was brilliant. And it talked about the frontal lobes and the amygdala and, and all my students were going to sleep. And I recognized at that point, I was like, man, alive. What is it that I needed? Much like your book. You know, what is it that I needed when I was at my lowest? What did I need to know before I went in and talked to that active duty colonel? What is it that would have helped me? And I had an NCO um, during my first deployment who always used to say, you picking up what I'm putting down? And what NCOs do better than anyone in the, on the planet is that hip pocket training. 
Yep. Is taking really complex ideas or maybe not even so complex ideas and breaking it down and making sure that it's understandable and can be digested. And I knew at that point that what I what I needed at the beginning of my journey was a good NCO. I needed to understand what my symptoms were. No bullshit. Yeah. Am I crazy or is this legit? Because yeah. I had been given a diagnosis of, yeah, you're batshit. Um, what is happening to me? What are the courses of action? What can I do about this? I needed some good ORM. I needed to figure out what was going on. Then I needed to know how to actually execute that course of action. I needed to know how to talk with my family about going through treatment and get that social support. How do I talk to friends? Um, you know, especially when I just threatened my spouse again with divorce. You know, how do I how do I talk to my chain of command? How do I talk to my HR department if I'm on the civilian side? So I don't give a shit. I breathe, but I, but whether I like it or not, I still need to go to work. So how do I get that buy-in? And then moreover, how do I, how do I maintain my, my, my mental health after I've gone through some evidence-based treatment? You know, how do I have healthy boundaries? How do I get social support? How do I make friends? How do I have a community uh, around me who can actually help me to to do this. And so I created my own curriculum. And off of that, uh, and, and my students kept up with me. They kept up with me. And they kept hounding me and, and really got on my ass. And Scott Mendoza, you're number one on that. <laughs> and made sure that, you know, they said, you know, Virginia, it's, it's time. And so I wrote a book and uh, like we were talking about before, be- before we started recording, you know, I started out, I'm like, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm real educated and shit. So I'm going to write a really hoity-toity book. And I was like, why? And so I, I, it, it just didn't make any sense. I, I wanted to make sure that I would, that people could pick up what I was putting down. Yeah. So, so I wrote the soldier's guide to PTSD and it is a soldier to soldier guide. It's not a clinician to soldier guide, even though I'm a clinician. It is a love letter from one soldier from another from me to you to to say, listen, this this is what it is. This is what it's not. These are the the rumors about PTSD that are not true, but absolutely will fuck with your head and make you think that you're crazy. These are the courses of action. This is what this is what you can do taking those action steps. And you, you talk a lot about that in your own book. You know, how do we take action steps? How do we. How do we actually, you know, how do we take this information, synthesize, and then actualize it? And um, so that, yeah, the, the book is is uh, subtitled How to No Shit Reclaim Your Life. <laughs> Love it. Well, because this is not rocket surgery, David. This is not high math. You know, we we, we teach Marines how, how to fix helicopters and airplanes. You know, we, we teach... You know, we teach brand new 18-year-old soldiers how to speak Chinese and, and Korean. And you know what? PTSD, mental health is a lot easier than that. Um, you know, when we're talking about PTSD, this is this is not hard. This is the single most logical, unbelievably straightforward mental health diagnosis that there is. It, it is our body and brain's very natural reaction to a very abnormal set of circumstances. It's completely normal. 
Um, so, you know, all of those re-experiencing symptoms, um, you know, we were talking about before the show about those anger outbursts, about avoidance. Um, not the, liking big crowds. Not liking big crowds. I mean, these are ugh, legit. I joke about it because I used to be like uh, in high school, I was like the guy in the middle of the mosh pit, you know, in big concerts, throwing elbows, crowd surfing, loved it. Now, I don't know that you could pay me to go to a concert. I just can't stand. We were in Bourbon Street, this event, and I was like, guys, this guy is going to go find a restaurant. They're like, well, there's food right here. I'm like, no, no, like one with walls where it's quiet inside and I want to not yell for a little while. (laughs) Couldn't do it. And that's that's pretty common. That's pretty normal. And when I say something's normal, I'm not meaning that that tickles. So calm down. (laughs) What I am saying is that this is a very expected, very logical outcome. You know, the idea of, you know, doing a couple rounds around the parking lot um, and before you combat park, not wanting to go through the drive-thru because you'll get boxed in, Um, seeing a box on the road and losing your shit because it could be an IED. I mean, these are, that's, you know, looking for routes of egress, you know, ingress and egress whenever you're in a, a, you know, needing to have your back to the wall in the restaurant, trying to feel safe. These are really normal. But if you don't know that it's normal, we can feel legit batshit crazy. Oh, yeah. So what, like what, for example, hallucinations, you know, if, if we're already in the, if you're already in over your head, does it really matter how much deeper you get in the ocean? So let's talk about really uncomfortable shit for a minute. Okay. So hallucinations. This is when we see, hear, smell, taste, touch things that we ostensibly know are not there, are not there. Now you don't have to watch too much law and order to know that most that, you know, kind of the, you know, if we have those hallucinations, a lot of us think that, well, it's a hop, skip and a jump to the tinfoil hat and the aliens are going to get me and the TV's talking to me. And I, you know, have to go in the padded room. And the truth is hallucinations and what we call dissociative reactions is a 50 cent word for being disconnected are very normal trauma reactions. Very normal. And I personally have never, and I say again, never seen a case of PTSD without hallucinations because it makes complete and total sense. So if your brain, think of your brain as kind of like a separate person, like on your fire team, like everyone's got that guy on their fire team who really wants to help, but kind of can't make that synapse happen. (laughs) And and they end up kind of making everything a lot more fucked up than it needs to be. The guy who loses his, uh, his NVGs. <laughs> it happens. It happens. There's that guy. But you don't want him to not help. And he, he wants to be a part of it. That is your brain on trauma. Your brain on trauma. He is trying to, and my brain's a he. You know, he's trying to help. But he just doesn't really know how, how to make that help happen. And so when we are, you know, your brain has two main jobs. Number one, to keep you alive, keep you breathing, keep you moving, going forward. Uh, And number two, to make meaning whether we have all the information or not. I say again, to make meaning whether or not we have all of the information, whether or not that's information, that information is correct. So in order for our brain to to keep us alive, which worked, by the way, because you're here. You're still breathing. You're, you know, you're still doing your thing. You're still eating crayons. You got it, right? 
But your brain, like legit, is trying to keep you alive. So when you're trying to relax, that is when he is going to give you the sound of a gunshot, manufacture the sound of a gunshot, the smell of burning flesh or the smell of the cologne of your attacker. And, and you know, or the taste of moon dust. And you're like, oh, well, shit. <laughs> Oh, you're triggering stuff there. <laughs> Moon dust. No, no, not too soon. Just funny because I, I completely relatable on that one. <laughs> and, you, and, you know, I'll be like, well, I'm, I'm in, uh, you know, I'm in South Texas. There's, well, we got a lot of dust here, but not moon dust, not same, same. And we, we taste that or, or we hear somebody screaming our name or we, you know, legit, what happens? We immediately get very activated. A lot of things start happening with our body, our brain and our body. Our body goes into fight, flight, freeze, keeping us alive. That's our brain's number one job. So our heart starts beating out of our chest. And that's to get all of the blood to our muscles, to get ready for fight, flight, freeze. Our, our, our eyes will dilate. Um, we're going to start sweating, shaking. Our frontal lobes, for to simplify, kind of shut down. Um, because this ain't Disney. We're not taking pictures. We are, our brain's job is to keep us alive, keep us alive. And all of a sudden our mind is racing. Our heart is going, we can trigger into a panic attack sometimes very easily. And your brain is actually doing its job. Here you are, you're trying to relax. You're trying to sleep. Well, that's a pretty vulnerable position. So your brain's like, whoa, David, I see you're trying to sleep here. Perhaps you forgot that the world is a dangerous place and we could get schwacked at any minute. Let me give you a nightmare to remind you of the danger that we could be in so you can stay alert, stay alive. So let's, you know, and this is very normal. That's your, that's your brain's job. That's what he does. And he's doing it well. You know, when you're not going into fight, flight, or freeze, or you're getting triggered, that's, that's your brain is failing. So these are, again, I say again, very normal reactions to a very abnormal set of circumstances. Flashbacks. Um, let's talk about it. So flashbacks, we watch it, in, you know, we watch it in movies and there's always like some really like soppy, like violin music in the back and it all goes into slow motion and someone goes, no, and they jump on the bomb or something like that. But flashbacks, if they were like that, they might be a lot easier. But flashbacks were legit terrifying in ways that are much more all-encompassing. So they, they flashbacks are when we legit feel as if we're back there reliving our experience. Back there legit living it. Um, so it's not like we see in the movies. And, and it is all sorts of terrifying. And but if we if we don't know what these symptoms are, legit, if we don't know what the symptoms are, that combined with the rumor, so lack of knowledge, not knowing the symptomology, not having a good NCO to walk us through that, and then popular culture in stigma, we you know, we stay away. We're like, I don't want to go to the fourth floor. I'm done. I'm done. You know, I would rather, I would rather keep it to myself. We start pulling away. So avoidance is criterion, Charlie, of, uh, of PTSD. We start avoiding things that remind us of our trauma. And avoidance, that's a, 
That's a many headed beast because we, here's the thing. When we start, when we know that something's wrong, but we don't know what's wrong. We just know something's wrong. Or maybe we even know we have PTSD and then we go to Dr. Google and we're like, oh shit, you know, this, this isn't going to end well. And let's face it. I haven't met anyone recently who hasn't lost more battle buddies, more Marines to suicide than they did to combat. That's just where we are right now. We know how this ends. So we can get very afraid. And so we we're like, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and protect my family. I'm gonna protect my family. I'm gonna protect my kids and my loved ones. But guess what? Family, and especially kids, this is why I'm child-free. Kids are smart. Kids are really smart. And they will, they, they, your family knows something's up. They know something's up and they know, they probably know that it's PTSD. And they probably went to Dr. Google and they're freaked the fuck out too. And they know, you know, they know. And so all of a sudden it becomes this elephant in the room, this big, ugly, stinky beast that everyone knows is there, but nobody talks about it. And here's the thing about the brain. We remember brain's number one job. Keep us alive. Number two, make meaning. And this is legit for our loved ones too, friends. Okay. So instead of having the no shit facts about PTSD or moral injury and how to recover from that, our kids will think, well, yeah, daddy doesn't come to my baseball games because I, I don't score enough points. Or, um, you know, my spouse doesn't want to have sex with me because of the weight that I put on in my last deployment. Not that, and sex and PTSD, just not compatible at all. Not compatible at all. Another story for another day. Um, my best friend must be mad at me because we used to hang out all the time and go to concerts and now we don't. Um, you know, we, we start pushing away the people who love us and that we love the most. And, you know, we, they call it the service for a reason. And the reason I, and I'll speak personally, I was pushing away the people I loved the most to protect them. And that's when we also think of suicide. Let's get deeper in the water. What the fuck not? <laughs> so we, we think about suicide. And, and I know no one else and none of your viewers, none of your listeners have ever thought about that. So I'll just tell you my story. Yeah, no, nobody. So it's totally not a very common problem in the military. Oh, not at all. Yeah, it's not a thing. When you say 22, everyone's like, mm, what's that? But like legit, I, I remember thinking to myself, you know what? Taking myself out of this equation, listen how logical this sounds, how, how militant this sounds. This is like an Excel spreadsheet of, of emotions, okay? If I take myself out of this equation, my husband can remarry. Maybe he'll find someone younger who actually likes kids. I might be doing my family a favor not to have a crazy person. My kids might be able to do better having an actual mentor who can be with them. You know, my friends will be better off. My, my battle buddies will be better off. The mission won't be hindered if I'm not a part of it, if I'm not here. My fire team will be able to function better. And we tell ourselves all of these things. And all of a sudden, suicide becomes a coping mechanism. Let's talk about that for a second. 
coping mechanisms work. It's a little, it's a little uncomfortable. So put your seatbelt on. Drugs and alcohol work. If they didn't work, people wouldn't be taking them. Okay. Like alcohol. Yeah. So, you know, and especially in military communities, alcohol, booze. I mean, think about how we, you know, shit, even, even how, we, how we remember, you know, a soldier at redeployment, you know, or pour one out. You know, it's, I mean, it's very alcohol-fueled and, and infused. And I'm not judging anyone, okay? I've been in recovery a long time, so keep your strongly worded fucking email to yourself. <laughs> but, but here's the thing. This shit ain't easy. This shit ain't easy. And we start using thinking about coping mechanism, about, about suicide as a coping mechanism. We think about it. We think about it. And here's what we tell ourselves. Well, I'm just thinking about it. I'm not actually going to do it. And it works. We need to be a little more honest about that. You know, we're like, oh, don't think about it. You know, do you want to hurt yourself or someone else? I mean, you, you know. That is drilled into every NCO's like blood. Yeah. You know, do you want to hurt yourself or someone else? Uh, you know, let's call the crisis line. But, <laughs> but here's the thing. So we may not say it out loud, but we're thinking about it. We start thinking about how, you know, who, who's gonna who's gonna show up to my memorial? Does my life insurance actually cover this? It, you know, how can I make this look like an accident? If I go out to um, to a to a place where where I could commit suicide, do I have cell phone signal so that I could call the police so like animals don't eat my body? Because that would be you know pretty gross. Um, you know, we start thinking about you know, just thinking about it and the fun stuff too. What's my last fuck you going to be? How, what is my last Facebook post going to be? Who am I going to tell off? Maybe what? Maybe I'll write my letter. And we start thinking about it and imagining it. And, um, you know, and we all get the giggles at this point because it's true. It's true. It does make us feel better. It makes us feel better. But here's the thing. For every single one of us, we will get to the point where... Our circumstances will overwhelm our ability to cope. That's called life. That shit happens. And at that point, if we're thinking about suicide as a coping mechanism, and like upwards of over 90% of suicides happen when, when we're higher drunk, we are literally not in our right mind, even without the PTSD. And, and we have so much evidence that PTSD really fucks with our fundamental belief systems. We might get into that later on. But we start thinking about it. And we're thinking about it. And we tell ourselves we're just thinking about it. And then overwhelmingly, you know, something's going to come back. That, that wave is going to crash. And that's where our mind goes. Like, I got a solution for this, Virginia. Don't worry. We're going to shock ourselves. Everything's going to be okay. And this happens all the time. You know, one of my one of my gigs after I got licensed is um, I, I was helping a, a a local base in Texas respond to um, suicides and suicide homicides. So I was going to the units after um, you know after there was a, a suicide or suicide homicide in the unit, and I would also respond when somebody 
tried to commit suicide, but they had what, what is termed an unsuccessful suicide, which is pretty successful in my book. If you if you don't whack yourself, thank God. Um, and I got a real interesting, it gave me a lot of really interesting insight into shit, just a ton. You know, when I was talking with folks, the first thing that happens um, when, when we try to commit suicide and it doesn't work is the first person is going to show up as police. Because they're just their first responders. Yep. And depending on what state you live in, if you're in North, if you're in the you know continental U.S., um, depending on what state you live in, the likelihood of you going to a psychiatric facility where you can get help, is pretty low. Um, just because we don't have beds, it's not to be malicious. Yeah. It is much more likely that you're going to end up in jail. <laughs> and, and they put you in a turtle suit. Um, I don't know what the actual name for it is, but it's a one it's a one piece smock um, and jails tend to be really cold and you're probably going to be in the medical wing, which is freaking freezing yeah. all the time because of labs and whatnot. So you're going to be in a one piece smock that because nobody wants you to, to try to track yourself with your clothing, they're going to take away everything. And then you get to talk to somebody like me. So your day just got worse, <laughs> but, but you're still breathing. And, and Dave, if I heard it once, I heard it a freaking hundred times. Virginia, it all happened so fast. It all happened so fast before I knew it. And then fill in the blank there. Before I knew it, you know, the bottle of pills was gone. And so was half the fifth of vodka. Before I knew it, I was tying the noose and my son walked in on me and asked me what I was doing. Before I knew it, I had the gun in my mouth and I could taste the metal. Before I knew it, the SWAT team showed up and I had little red dots on my chest and it scared the shit out of me. Before I knew it, this shit happens fast. This shit happens unbelievably fast. I personally haven't talked to anyone who wasn't under the influence of at least alcohol when this happened. This shit happens unbelievably fast. Not saying this to to make anybody freak out or scare you, but what I do want you to know is that when we're thinking about suicide as a coping mechanism, we're actually on a knife's edge. We are on a knife's edge and it's time to get help. And I hope we get time to talk about it um, because getting help for PTSD is not rocket surgery. It's eight to 12 sessions of evidence-based treatment. If you're doing it once a week, that's like three months to unfuck a lot um, easy well it's not easy it's it's simple it's not easy it's, it's simple. process it's process and you know so th- just hearing that it all happens so fast the one thing that i always hear from from the unit is you know i i knew i knew david was going through some shit but yeah, I really thought he was doing a lot better. He went, he came to the unit, uh, you know, holiday party. He was smiling. He was looking around. He was, you know, he was doing better. He, you know, he was saying hi to people. He was being more social. And so it really does come as a surprise to the unit. You know, what could I have done? And the truth is, and having been on the other side of that, I, I know for a fact that that the truth is, well, yeah, yeah, he's smiling because he know he has a solution. 
there's a solution there. And when we feel numb from PTSD, because when we're talking about, uh, about avoidance, one of the big factors in avoidance is numbness. And that's just neuroscience. So what happens is with, um, to kind of simplify it, when, when we're going through PTSD, we, we go way, way out of our way to avoid anything that reminds us of trauma because that's logic. I say again, PTSD, unbelievably logical, straightforward. Any fucking buddy can understand this shit. Anyone can understand it. So think about your feelings kind of on a continuum. So over here, you got feelings I don't want to feel. I feel shitty. I feel angry. I feel mad. I feel shame. I feel guilt. Then you got kind of those middle feelings, you know, shit. I, I sort of, you know, just middle feelings. Like I feel mad. I feel ambivalent. I feel okay. Whatever. Then you got those feelings. I want to feel, I want to feel joyful and happy and laughter and unicorns and sprinkles and shit, you know? So the idea is with, with PTSD is we want to avoid these feelings because who the fuck wants to think about trauma? And we just want to feel the stuff in the middle and happy. So we go way, way out of our way to avoid anything that reminds us of our trauma, people, places, situations, social media, news, anything, family, our children. And the idea is we is very logical. We want to recapture all of this, but feelings don't work like that. The brain doesn't work like that, which sucks. So there's an unexpected second order effect. So things on a continuum attenuate from both ends. So if things, if we're avoiding stuff on this side, all of a sudden we're unable to feel things on this side. Does that make sense? So they kind of go in and out in equal measure. So we're avoiding all the shit I don't want to feel. And then all of a sudden I am unable to experience the things that I do want to feel. I'm unable to feel happy. I'm unable to, I know cognitively in my brain, in my right mind, that I should feel laughter, happiness. My child comes up to me and they're genuinely upset about something that they have every right to feel upset about. I don't feel anything. Maybe I even feel angry. I'm like, quick, quiet, crying, you fucking baby. And then it's like, what the fuck? Did I just really say that? Was that really my internal voice? And then we get into this this middle place called numb. We literally can't feel anything. And it's terrifying. And so we may go to Dr. Google and we're like, am I a psychopath? Am I a sociopath? You're not. If you're asking those questions, by the way, you're not. That's a good thing. If you're not asking those questions, let's go see a therapist. So, but we, we start asking ourselves, you know, only a monster would feel nothing if their spouse comes to them and is legitimately upset about something and I don't feel anything. Only a monster would feel that way. Only an animal. Maybe all the things that I'm telling myself really are true. And so that numb place is is a really scary, nebulous place to be in. And it is is an all-out existential crisis. If you don't like thinking about about things that are kind of like soul damage, which is kind of woo-woo and can be religious. <laughs> you know, you go all, all out existential crisis, got it. Then we think about suicide or the idea will come to us or we hear more likely of a battle buddy who, who, or a Marine who commits suicide or we see like a Facebook uh, memory poster. I fucking hate those. But, and they'll pop up and we'll think, 
oh, I know what I'll do. I'll commit suicide. And logically, again, cognitively in our right mind, we know that never ends well. And if you don't know that ever that never ends well, talk to a first responder and let them set you straight. Because that shit never ends the way you think it's going to. Successful suicides are really ugly. Uh, lots of suffering, lots of lots of paraplegics. That shit is ugly. And we know that. We know that suicide is a violent, fucked up way to die. And we feel it anyway. Shit, I'll stop using we. I used it anyway. I used it anyway. I thought about it anyway. And when thinking about suicide, now I have an idea. And all of a sudden, I feel something. I say again, I feel something. So I've been feeling numb this whole time, maybe maybe for years. Then all of a sudden, I feel something. It may not be great. It may not be unicorns and rainbows. But it's not nothing. It's not nothing. And so our brain's like, well, that's, that's a good thing. We're feeling again. So this whole suicide thing's probably a legit idea. We should think about this more. We should contemplate. And by the way, we're, we're just going to contemplate this. Don't worry. We're not going to actually do it. Then we start thinking about it. Then maybe we get all that external validation. We start, you know, our spouse is like, oh, my God, Virginia, it's so nice to see you smiling again. It's good to see you actually waking up on a Saturday instead of sleeping all day. <laughs> Things must be going well. And then I'm like, oh, all of a sudden, the suicide, thinking about suicide becomes more and more legit. So it's very logical. It's very easy to understand how we get to that point. And, and it's, unfortunately, brother, it's normal. And when I say it's normal, that doesn't mean it's tickle, it tickles. It doesn't mean that that's enjoyable. But we can really, these are very logical outcomes. Your yeah. brain, two jobs, keep you alive, make meaning, whether you have all the information or not. Doesn't matter how skewed it is. This is our brain's job. This is exactly what he does. And, and so... There, there is a solution for this. And um, one thing I would, I would want, there's one thing that I would want everyone to know, and that is what is your symptoms? And so we're offering a, a free preview guide, um, you know, a copy of the book. Um, you have to give us your email, but then you can like unsign up. We're not going to count you the way that we did, David. Um, if you go it to worked. The, <laughs> boom, I'm here, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But if you go to the soldiersguide.com. Um, it, it, we give you the first two chapters of the book because la-di-da-di, everybody deserves to know what PTSD isn't. So those rumors that aren't true, but will fuck you up and what it is. And um, you can go to the soldiersblog.com. You can follow us on all manners of social media at the soldiers guide. Um and uh, you can download a free copy. We have a free workbook for folks. Great if you're going to a CMP exam, by the way. Hint nudge. So it's a free workbook. Don't print the first page. It'll use all your ink. You might have learned that the hard way. But um, it, it will go through the symptoms, the no shit symptoms of PTSD, so that you can understand what your symptoms are. And, and I want to stress, it's really important 
that we understand our symptoms better than anyone else. And I know that this is a hard pill to swallow, so grab some water. You know, when I went to see a no shit psychiatrist, they didn't, th- th- this man wasn't able to, to diagnose my PTSD correctly. Um, PTSD, it looks like a lot of other things. Um, my experience with mental health, my initial experience, it's not an outlier. And, the, and, and we have to get real about this. There is a lot of implicit bias with mental health, and especially for women, persons of color, and people who identify as part of the queer community, which is a lot of our Marines and soldiers right now, who are not getting a fair shake in the mental health milieu. And that's not okay. That is not okay. And so we have to understand. So download a free copy of the workbook and go through it, fill out your shit. I mean, it's, it's pretty, this is very straightforward and, and get the help that you deserve because there is help for this and it's not rocket surgery. This shit's pretty easy. I've been talking a lot. I feel, and I don't want to be that guy. I'm going to hit myself. I'm going to punt it back to you. Genius. Hit me. Give me your questions, your insight. What have you got for me, babe? I didn't interrupt because I was really enjoying what you were talking about. I resonated with a lot of that. Um, I mean, it's just, it's a very, I've never heard it described that way, that process. I I like that you mentioned uh, that you don't like seeing all the posts online uh, commemorating Um, my, the article I wrote that I thought was fairly controversial. I also think is probably the most researched article I've ever written talked about uh, my theory on contagion like the contagion effect and the idea that essentially like if we see it all the time, all over the place, psychologically, we, we think it's an okay option. Um, which I'm obviously not researched on at all. It's just kind of what I've seen is like, man, the friends that I know who've, who've killed themselves, if it's all been kind of like one happened and then another, or like there was a, you know, it was like, a, Oh yeah. If, well, if so-and-so did that, then I mean, it's an okay. Um, In the literature, we call these clusters. Yeah. Yeah, it's like the. It has its own uh, fucking term. It's like it's like the. Oh, I'm trying to think of the names, but the Lincoln Park guy uh, killed himself, and then like right after that, his best friend, or vice versa, Um, or on a year to the day, I believe. So anyway, um, like yeah, it's. I I wish I'd had you as a counselor at one point, like the the you you very much do embody the soldier to soldier mentality as far as like the the complete understanding of the thought process behind it and like the you know the the swearing and like well this doesn't matter and that does matter and this is normal and uh, i feel like uh even with the counseling i've been doing as far as like uh relationship counseling right now i sometimes i feel like i don't want to talk to the lady and she's smart and she's helpful but sometimes i feel like she's just kind of like mhm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and tell me how you know it's very typical of the like counselor kind of and i've gotten a lot out of it but it would be a lot better for me to be like okay well look you've like like you've been through this and you understand that like i, I don't need all the frou-frou just like tell me tell me what to do <laughs> so. yeah, getting down to brass tacks it, it's not easy um you know when i when i was writing the book i really had kind of this internal dilemma about you know, how much of myself do I put in this? Because that's not something that I do in the therapeutic environment. I'm not, 
you know, when I'm talking with, you know, with a veteran or service member, I'm not like, hey, listen, here's my story. That's kind of verboten. Um, you know, it's more like, how does that make you feel? But, um, you know, I, and it was a struggle and it's been a struggle. This is, this has been not easy. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm significantly older than you, although I don't look it. Um, and so I'm not really savvy on the social media and I've always kind of had this thing about over like people who overshare, you know, like this was my breakfast and avocado toast. And it's <laughs> like me. Well, your avocado toast posts are just delightful. For the record. <laughs> um, so, uh, but it's, you know, I, I, I have a fear of oversharing, you know, it's something that really, you know, kind of freaks me out. And then I, I had to really think about it and uh, and talk with with a sponsor and a really good friend. And, you know, I'm just too fucking old for this shit. You know, I came into and this is, you know, I came into I became a therapist later in life. And, uh, you know, I thought I was going to be a linguist. I, you know, I grew up, you know, I grew up as a polyglot. You know, this was my thing. And. Um, and, you know. Language matters. Uh, you know, all my training as a linguist really kind of comes forward now because how we talk about things matters. The language that we use matters. You know, it's like that. There's that book, uh, Gary Chapman, The Five Love Languages. Every chaplain tries to pawn that off on on you. And um, you know, but it's just you know, it's it's in, enduring is literature because it's just so unbelievably true. Yeah. You know, if we really care about each other, but I speak Chinese and you speak French, guess what? We're not going to know. And it's the same thing when it comes to mental health. And and it really chaps my ass, to be honest with you. I don't think you should have to have a fucking PhD to be able to unfuck yourself. It doesn't, you know, we've got all these people running around with their little puzzle pieces. Like, I'm going to be an equine therapist. Fucking horse people. Keep your okay, horse people. Keep keep your strongly worded emails to yourself or send them to David. But you know, you know, I'm gonna do this. They are their their own breed. (laughs) So (laughs) but everybody's running around with their little fucking puzzle piece. And you know, and everyone's you know, we've got a ton of good idea fairies, we've got a lot of good idea fairy snipers, got it. But at the end of the day, where's what I'm always thinking about is a little more brass tacks. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? And that's what NCOs do. That is that hip pocket training. Are you, because this is not hard to teach. And, you know, it's, I shouldn't have to have a master's degree and I shouldn't have to have a master's degree to be able to explain this. This is not, this is not, we can explain the, this in really brass text terms when we're talking, and especially when it comes to treatment. You know, we have, you know, we have three evidence-based treatments for PTSD. They work for most people most of the time. And people don't know about them. It's like, we know, we know PTSD kills, but the solutions are just as simple. And, you know, 
we're always asking, you know, everyone's running around with their puzzle piece. Why are there 22 a day? Well, that's because no one knows what this is and no one knows how to fix this. Like there's been no basic ORM here. Like no one is picking up what anyone is putting down. And so, you know, it's three evidence-based treatments. So an evidence-based treatment is a big fucking deal. There are three of them. So we've got cognitive processing therapy, CPT, P is in Papa, because if it's not an acronym, it's not real. Of course. We've got prolonged exposure therapy. Then we have EMDR, that is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Just call it EMDR. Yep. So those are three evidence-based treatments for PTSD that are approved by the Department of Veteran Affairs. Now, that's a big deal because the VA is a really slow-moving bureaucratic monster. So when something, so those are, that doesn't mean those are the only three evidence-based treatments. It means those have been approved by the VA. And so an evidence-based treatment, think about it in the same way you would treat it, that the FDA treats a new drug, you know, um, will test a new drug. So we got these double-blind studies, you know, um, double-blind studies, uh, different populations over a long period of time, a longitudinal study. Um, to make sure that these drugs do what they say they're going to do and don't have side effects. They're going to make you grow like another arm. We do the exact same thing with mental health treatment. And this surprised the shit out of me. I did not know that we, we test, we, we test uh, mental health treatment the exact same way that we test drugs, the same way we test vaccines. And a lot of these evidence-based treatments have been around for decades, decades. We've had them around for a long time. We literally have, have tested them. Um, and I don't mean to make it sound like a lab rat, but we, we've tested and retested on literally thousands of service members and veterans, thousands. There is a shit ton of money. It's an exact amount. There's a shit ton of money in PTSD research. The, the researchers, so the DOD Center for Excellence for PTSD Research, right in San Antonio, Texas, the Strong Star folks. Oh my God, those people are so. You think I, I get pumped in Jack to talk about this? Those people are bad shit. I love it. They, they love what they do. They're helping people every day and they're so passionate about their work. It's so flipping smart. It's just, it's amazing. They amaze me. So when we have, when something is an evidence-based treatment, so let's just, let's get down to brass tacks. So think about the Pareto rule, 80-20, right? So with these three evidence-based treatments, so we can ask for them by name. They're so ubiquitous. You can ask for them by name. So you can go to Dr. Google and say cognitive processing therapy or EMDR, McAllen, Texas, 78501. And you can come up with all the people, you know, who, who do that therapy. So you can ask for them by name and you should, you should, because sitting on a couch and talking about your mommy issues, isn't going to help with your PTS. <laughs> it's, it's not same, same. It's not same, same. So if you like, if you have cancer, you don't go to a podiatrist, you don't go to a dermatologist and let's, I don't know, unless you've got like foot skin cancer or something no. like that. Right. But you go to a no shit specialist, you go to an oncologist because cancer will kill you. Cancer will kill you. You got to unfuck that. PTSD is the same way. PTSD will kill you. So go to a PTSD specialist. 
therapists specialize. I'm a one-trick pony. I specialize in military operational stress, moral injury, combat issues, PTSD. It's pretty, I'm kind of a one-trick pony. I, I can do other things, but I don't do them well. And if you come to me with an eating disorder or schizophrenia or bipolar disorder, or you have, you know, you have a teenager who needs help, there are people who specialize in this, who are the best at what they do. And I will send you to them. But in the meanwhile, if we have PTSD and we know it, don't waste your time. Go to a no shit PTSD specialist and ask for an evidence-based treatment by name. So evidence-based treatment, Pareto rule, 80-20. It's going to work for 80% of the people. We're going to have these 20% outliers. Now let's just talk math. If I had a 20% chance of winning the lottery, I'd play. Yeah. I'd play five times. I would play a lot because 20% is a big fucking number. So what that means is, so let's say we got course of action alpha, right? We've got, so we've got three evidence-based treatments, alpha, bravo, charlie. We go to the first one, cognitive processing therapy. And, uh, and there's a, we go through, in the book, we go through these line by line because everybody, once you read them, you'll know what will work best for you. You'll have a sense like, oh, like that sounds bad shit, but that, that I could get into. And it's different for everybody. I, I never guess correctly. I just, here's the info pick. Yeah. So you go to course of action al- uh, alpha and you're an outlier. You're an outlier. You're 20%. Well, guess what? We expect that. We expect that a lot and it's okay. We'll go to course of action Bravo. We'll go to course of action Charlie. Now let's say you go through all three evidence-based treatments and you're a statistical outlier for all of these. This happens. Then we, does this mean that you're FUBAR? No, it's, this is very logical. So this is a process that therapists call differential diagnosis. PTSD is so fucking logical. This is so straightforward. This is very, you know, and military members tend to be really analytical. So I hope that you're able to pick up what I'm putting down on this one. But if you are an outlier, first of all, you won the statistics lottery. Awesome for you. Not so well, or not so awesome for you as the case may be. But you either don't have PTSD. In other words, we don't have the right diagnosis. Maybe you have what we call a co-occurring disorder and you have to work on that. Um, so let's talk about that. So PTSD is one of those mental health disorders that always comes to the party with friends. Super joiner, never, never shows up alone. Mm. In my practice, I see five most common co-occurring disorders. So drug and alcohol misuse, um, depression, anxiety. Eating disorders, especially with males and especially within the special warfare community. Okay. And OCD, what we call obsessive compulsive disorder. So those are the five co-occurring disorders that I most often see with PTSD. So those are the things that tend to show up first. So think about it like a, like a tree, roots and fruits. Um, we may see the DUIs. You know, think about when you're on active duty. You see the DUIs, you know, you see the person showing up late to formation, but maybe we're not seeing the root issue, which could be the trauma. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So, and one thing we, we often see is something called moral injury. 
that we we don't really talk a lot about that. And that's a, is a term that, you know, I don't know if we have the bandwidth to get into it here, but, um, but there is a whole chapter about it. And, and there's a lot of information on the interweb about that. So go check that out. Moral injury. And we may have to treat that in addition to your PTSD. So that's why it might be an outlier. Someone also might have what we call treatment-resistant PTSD. It's like having treatment-resistant fungus. Or, you know, we got to get a stronger cream. Yep. <laughs> and we really, and we do the exact same thing with PTSD. Uh, the folks up at StrongStar, Stan Antonio, holy shit, brilliant. They work very specifically on finding treatments for treatment-resistant PTSD. And because there's so much money and research, and these researchers are so freaking smart, they're looking at things like MDMA-assisted therapy. Um, they're looking at marijuana. They're looking at the God shot, the stellate ganglion block. They're looking at ketamine. They're looking at all, there are so many evidence-based treatments out there. We just don't have them widely available because it's, you know, it's hard to get, it's hard to get a doctor, um, you know, cause it has to be an MD. It can't be a nurse practitioner, you know, to sign. We have to have a doctor to sign off on a lot of these. Oh, and God forbid somebody um, signs off on a active duty service member needing a medical marijuana oh jesus <laughs> yeah oh world end i have ptsd <laughs> everybody everybody would come forward the whole military the whole yeah, marine corps yeah. would be like you know actually i think i need some i mean i have some of that <laughs> oh shit that might be the best thing for like mental health ever um you know <laughs> out the box thinking brother out the box thinking marine corps is giving away edibles all you got to do is talk about your feelings I'm sad. <laughs> I'm first in line. I'm first in line. Oh but it's, yeah, it's, but there's so much out there. Really oh good God. treatments. Um, there, there are evidence-based treatments for moral injury. I use something called adaptive disclosure in my practice. Freaking amazing. Freaking amazing. Um, you know, there are, are transdiagnostic treatments, meaning that um, it's one treatment and it unfucks a lot of other shit. So you can do it in group. Transdiagnostic just means lots of different treatments. Um, so there, I mean, there's so much out there. It's why it's important that we go to a specialist and not a generalist. Because if you come to someone like, like me, and there are tons of me's out there, you don't have to come to me. Like for every, you know, there's 10,000 of me in the country. Strong star has a training program to train more me's and more them's. Thank God. Um, there is a lot of help out there, a lot of help available. You have to ask for it. And by the way, these evidence-based treatments, I want to really put this out there. Eight to 12 sessions on average. Eight to 12. And that's whether you still see Charlie in the foxhole for the last 50 years, you're a Vietnam vet, or if you've been dealing with this five months, we see reductions. The data are clear. The data are clear that these evidence-based treatments work for most people most of the time. And that's science. That's science. You don't have to believe in it. You don't have to believe in gravity either. You don't have to believe in gravity. But you know, when you lean back on your fancy new chair, David, and, and, it, and it moves on you, your ass I would, is- I would fall. I'm still trying to get the hang of this thing back here. No judgment. It's it's, it's literally a, a thing that you like balance on. Jeez. 
Well, no supposed, one likes to show off. It's supposed to keep your core engaged when you're standing up. And normally this is a standing desk. Dang. So, I don't know. Fancy, fancy mother right there. <laughs> but I mean, these, these things work for most people most of the time. But there is something I kind of, you know, we've already covered a lot of uncomfortable shit. So let's let's just go there. (laughs) There's a lot of us who are are listening to this or, you know, read the book and and I get a ton of hate mail. I dig it. Um, My 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 book gets a lot of hate. mail. I I hope yours doesn't. But I I do. I get a lot of hate mail. And um, then the number one thing that I get is, wow, Virginia, this I, you know, I, I'm glad that you're selling a book. I think people think I'm a multi-bazillionaire, right? But they're like, you know, yeah, this works for everyone, but it's not going to work for me because you haven't lived my life and you don't understand. You don't know where I've been. You don't know where I'm from. And uh, yeah, and, and they're right. Let's just be real about that. They're right. I, I don't know your experience. I don't know your experience. They're also right that it won't work for them with that attitude. Legit. So here's one, here's one thing that I, well, it's not just attitude. I I think that's, you know, attitude. Yeah. Attitude means a lot, but I think it's, uh, I I wish it, I don't think it's as simple. And I got some thoughts. I'm, you know, there are a lot of us who do not believe change is possible. You know, this like, yeah, these evidence-based treatments might work for everyone else, but they're not going to work for me. Yeah. And there's a lot of us also who think, wow, you know, th- you know, this might work for most people, but if I engage in treatment and I try to understand this, does that, then maybe that will, maybe that's the equivalent of saying everything I did was okay or right. And I, I work with a lot of people who either are committed or witness war crimes. You know, it's something we don't talk about and we need to. Yeah. Um, because they happen a lot, regardless of MOS, gender, gender identity, or service. Okay, this is happening a lot. Um, that, you know, if I go through some sort of treatment, then that's the equivalent of forgiving myself. And what I did was unforgivable, because only a monster would. Mm. So it goes back to that, that thought. And... You know, I just want to, I want to get real, you know, it's, yeah, you're right. Attitude is, is legit. There is no thing and no one, there's no book, there's no witty, you know, witty joke or podcast or data or statistics I could give you to make you believe something is true. If you very fundamentally believe it's not that's science too. Yeah. That's science too. That's legit. Absolutely. And there are a lot of us who, you know, there's a, there's a lot of emotion and a lot of thoughts that go into getting treatment. You know, we tell ourselves that I, you know, I don't deserve to have PTSD. Number one thing I hear in the therapeutic environment, I don't deserve to have it. Cause I, I came back to my kid. I've got my legs. I don't deserve to have PTSD. I, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't special warfare. I wasn't, you know, a door knocker. I wasn't bell ringer. Oh, I don't deserve to have, you know, malaria or HIV or schizophrenia or the flu. I mean, I'm, I'm fucking charming. 
<laughs> you know, I don't deserve any of this. But yeah. here's the thing. HIV, schizophrenia, malaria doesn't give a shit. Yep. And neither does PTSD. But we can be telling ourselves that. And we can also tell ourselves, you know, that, yeah, I don't deserve it. And the one thing that I would want anybody who's thinking this right now, which is a pretty large number, if we're being for real and honest. So I'm just going to pretend that this is ubiquitous and talk to everyone. If you have been listening to this podcast since we, since we hit record and you've heard one thing that surprised you that you didn't know before or that, that you didn't understand fully, is it possible that you're wrong about a bunch of other shit too? Yeah. Bunch of other shit. And let me tell you who hates being wrong. Me. Hate it. I'm a therapist. I hate change. I'm not a fan. Not a fan of change. But, you know, man, you know, time is going to move on with or without me. Have, have you ever done anything before that you thought was no shit impossible? When you were following the yellow footprints, were you like, what have I done? <laughs> yeah. Have you ever have you ever done anything you thought was impossible? Is it possible that you are stronger than you think you are? Is Absolutely. it possible? Is it possible that all the people who love the dog shit out of you are seeing you clearly? And maybe you're not seeing yourself clearly. We know, and, and the data are super clear, that PTSD fucks with our fundamental belief system. The way we believe about ourselves, other people, the world, in, in, in terms of safety and security, power and control, um, trust, intimacy, or vulnerability, and self-esteem. We know that PTSD fucks with that. Is it possible that you're not seeing yourself clearly because your symptoms are in the way of that? And if it's possible that you're wrong, then it's possible schwacking yourself isn't the right answer. I agree. A lot of a lot of folks that I work with, I'm just going to be straight with you, believe that, you know, it's a, getting that somehow getting treatment for PTSD is a cop out. And, and I want to I want to get real about that. It is. Um, it's hard. PTSD treatment is hard. That shit is gut wrenching. But it's not forever. So here's your straw. Suck it up. <laughs> it's not forever. And it's not harder than what you've been through. And then it's not harder than what you'll go through if you keep blowing it off. Because PTSD will fucking kill you. It will take everything that you live for. It will take your family. It will take your sanity. You can have a, a portfolio of houses up the ass. And you know what? <laughs> you're not even going to be able to go to an open house. You're not going to be able to enjoy anything if, if you don't go for the jugular and just go for this. This shit is hard, but it is worth it. It is worth it. It is not forever. You can ask for it by name. You can learn about your symptoms. Ask for, your, ask for treatment by name and be done with this shit in four months. And it's absolutely worth getting to the other side and living your best life. Yeah. Getting to the other side. It's like, it's like a convoy through a valley. It's fucking 
sucks. It's horrible. It's dangerous. It feels awful, but you will get through. And then there, there's a lot of us who also, I mean, I'll just, I'll just tell on myself. There's a lot of, a lot of me who believed that, you know, well, I'm just going to, I want to do it on my own. I want to do it on my own. I'm going to read, I'm going to read Virginia's book because she's so witty and smart. I'm going to read her book. I'm going to do this shit on my own. But here's the thing. If we could do this on our own, we already would have done it. You don't go on a convoy without your fire team. If you're going to go fucking Bergdahl it, you know, that shit doesn't end well. That does not end well. If you wouldn't go out on a convoy on your own, why would you go? This, This isn't a thing. We heal in community. We do not heal in isolation. And yes, you have to talk to a no shit treatment professional. And there's a lot of factors out there. But I don't want to talk to a civilian, but I don't want to. I get it. I get it. Not and and let's get real. Not every there are a lot of shitty therapists out there. Might, I might get some hate mail on that one, but it's true. Yep. Not everybody's good at their job. Not everybody gives a shit. And maybe it's not you. Don't be afraid. If this were for your loved one, if this were for your kid or your spouse or your brother or or a fellow Marine or your battle buddy, you would jump through your fourth point of contact. You would do anything to get them the help that they deserve to no shit reclaim their life. And so it's super important to go after recovery from this with that kind of fervor. You absolutely can do this. I mean, fuck it. I can recover from this. Anybody can. Anybody can. I was a hot mess. Still am sometimes. <laughs> Me too. But, eh, life. Yeah, exactly. But, but this is doable. And it's, not, and it's not forever. This can be done relatively quickly. There are intensive programs um, where you, you know, where you can go into a hospital, like what we call an intensive, an inpatient uh, hospitalization, uh, where you where you go to the hospital and you're you're getting therapy like every day, no shit for two or three weeks. And those two or three weeks are going to suck balls. They're going to be awful. But you know what? You're going to come out on the other side with a much better understanding. Um, you know, there are a lot of us who believe that. You know, we can't get treatment because we can't be forgiven because of what we did or didn't do or saw or didn't or failed to prevent. Um, And that falls into moral injury. Um, Another topic for another day, maybe. But I want I want you to know that the, the data are abundantly clear. That you can recover from it and recovery might not mean what you think. I had a, a client I was working with recently who, who said, wow, it, he said, you know, it just occurred to me that maybe I'm not a war criminal. Maybe I'm an asshole. I was like, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Let's talk about that. That's funny. And that is a real paradigm shift. That is a real paradigm shift. And what we're looking to do is, you know, because there is no paying it forward. There is no living your life if your symptoms are getting in the way of your no shit everyday function. That's why we call it a disorder. That's not a name calling word. That's a word that means that your symptoms 
are getting in the way of your no shit everyday functioning in your roles. In other words, your symptoms are getting in the way of you being a great dad, of you being a decent husband, a son, a brother, a father, a battle buddy, a Marine. They are getting in the way. And once we remove those, our, our post-treatment life is very seldom the way we think it's going to be. But, and I know it's scary. What the fuck do you have to lose? <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, I agree completely. Like what you, you have nothing to lose. There's nothing to lose by going to talk to somebody other than, you know, uh, maybe a little bit of time. But I think that's a justifiable return on investment. So, uh, Virginia, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been an awesome episode. Obviously, we want everyone to go to soldiersguide.com and check out. I'm gonna I'm gonna buy the book. Um, check out the book and and the resources because I think this is extremely valuable. I mean, there's so many service members out there who, you know, either they do have PTSD or they might don't know it or they're like me and they're you know in denial about even potentially having it, even though I laugh when you talk about people who don't like big crowds and I'm like, oh, that's me now. Um, oh, no, but it's not, you know, <laughs> anyway, uh, this has been awesome. I think this might be um, the least I've interrupted somebody in a while because I really enjoyed what we were talking about. I mean, it, it flowed. It was, it was good. It was great information. I learned a lot about, um, I mean, PTSD in general, but like the psychology behind, uh, kind of what triggers the suicide, the numbness and everything else. I mean, I think this was, uh, this was so much good information. I wish I'd, we should know this before, right? Isn't that, that's, that's the thing. That's the common, the common string here. Um, so uh, obviously soldiersguide.com, uh, anything else as far as resources or where somebody should go if they want to reach out and have some questions for you? Yeah, for sure. You can check us out on social media. Um, and, and I promise that I have younger savvy people who help <laughs> me with that. We've got, and I'd love to give a shout out to my, to my team. We've got a team of true believers, Katie Salaitis, uh, Barbie McRae, Nicole Trivet, who are just badass women and just incredible. And I'm so thankful for them. Um, so you check us out on social media. You can check out our blog at thesoldiersblog.com. Um, the book's available. We we made it as an audio book. That was one of our first priorities um, because for me personally, I haven't read a book in forever. I did read your book because it's not audio yet. <laughs> it's audio. But, Oh, is it now? It is. It's my voice. Me, me, me. Oh, wow. Well, it's not my voice. So your listeners <laughs> don't have to worry about that. Uh, Kelly Tago did it. She's so freaking smart. She just got a, a nominated for like a legit award too. She's she's for real. Hmm. Um, but it's on audiobook, um, ebook, and uh, and paperback. You can get it wherever, wherever books are sold. We're on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and then a couple of small retailers. So absolutely, check it out. Um Send us questions. You know, don't don't make the assumption I have a life because I don't. So I I love I love love talking uh, about PTSD, about military mental health, and I would really love your questions. And I'm really thankful. I really want the feedback. Like yeah. legit, I'm not just saying, oh, well, ping me. Um, <laughs> so like as a result, next year um, we're going to have a Spanish version of the book coming out. Um, a, a book specifically for women that looks uh, a lot more at uh, 
at um, like gaslighting and military sexual trauma and um, and a, a version also come in in 2022 for um, for Vietnam vets. That's close. Um, you know, they're they're legit. They're they're for real. You know, they made it so that when we redeployed, um, you know, they were at the airports making sure that we, you know, didn't have to experience what they experienced. You know, when they came home, they were treated really poorly. And it's just such a different war cycle. And so, um, you know, we're we're working with a um, a, a Vietnam veterans peer support group up in Michigan um, to to get, you know, to get these books out. And, um, you know, because it's not about me. I don't care. You know, it's just how I'm really... You know, I'm a linguist by trade, but, you know, accessibility matters. I agree. It matters a lot to me. So thank you. Thank you for caring about this. Oh, this is awesome. This is great information. Um, and in a digestible format, right? Because a lot of times the reason service members tune this out is because it's like, wah, 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 and it's like, all right, cool. Yeah. Lots of medical jargon. Great. Um, you know, and so this is this is good. This is really good. And thanks for saving me so much money on my capital gains tax. <laughs> oh yeah, wow. that's right. That's exciting. Yeah, buy the no BS guide to military life. It will save you money, <laughs> or make you money, or both. <laughs> Thank you so much, Virginia. This has been a lot Thank of fun. Thank you for listening to another episode about my journey from military to millionaire. If you liked it, be sure to visit from militarytomillionaire.com slash podcast to subscribe to future podcasts. While you're there, we'd love for you to rate the show. Give us a review on iTunes. Now get out there and take action.